0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
1: This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. Do your lawn care. Visit Truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
2: The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
0: And we're back with the co-chairs of the Four Country Caucus in Congress. It's a group of veterans who are working across the aisle. Its leaders are Colorado Democrat Jason Crow and Texas Republican Tony Gonzalez. It's good to be here in person with two people working across the aisle. This kind of conversation rarely happens these days. Um, And One reason we wanted to have it is because when we spoke to the former defense secretary, Bob Gates, months ago, he said in a very dark outlook, one of the few things that gives him hope is this caucus and these kind of efforts. Um, How do you restore civility to politics in an environment like this? Jason.
3: Well, good to be back with you, Margaret. Uh, listen, Tony and I are friends; we're buddies, despite the fact that he's Navy and I'm Army. We've been <laughs> able to get over that, uh, which is deeper
0: than the political, divide.
3: Than the political <laughs> divide. Sometimes, but you know, we 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 have debates all the time, pretty pretty fierce debates. Uh, but what's missing in this country and what this caucus is all about is respecting each other and being able to have those debates where we can agree on some basic facts. Uh, we don't call each other evil. We don't call each other names. We're not maligning each other personally. We're actually having policy debates and figuring out how we move our country forward. That, that is what this caucus is about. And as fellow veterans, we've been able to find common cause in that.
0: Why do you think... Congressman Gonzalez, that being veterans somehow changes the the way you're able to speak to each other about these things.
2: And it's as simple as service. And folks that have worn the cloth, regardless of service, they love this country. And we work together to solve real problems. That's what I appreciate the most about Four Country Caucus. I'm talking real serious issues. One of them is the uh, Global War on Terrorism Memorial that is going to be built right next to the Lincoln Memorial. This is something that's going to be, for our generation of, of uh, war fighters that is going to be there for them to 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 cherish also the afghan uh special interest visas i mean these are very important issues a lot of us spend a lot of time i spent five years in afghanistan we don't want to lose sight of our allies and and we don't want to leave those people behind and then the last piece is what what's happening in ukraine and supporting our our allies We've pushed hard with this caucus to, to give uh, uh, Ukraine everything they need to, to win this war, to include F-16s. We were very early. We were the first bipartisan caucus to push the administration for F-16s. And mm-hmm. now you're seeing them start to come around.
0: Is it actually sometimes easier for you to talk to Democrats about Ukraine than it is some of your fellow Republicans?
2: You know, it's a tough time in Washington, period, to have a, a, a serious conversation. Uh, but that's what I think you see in this in this caucus. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, we are serious legislators. We're very different. You know, 435 members coming from different districts and, and having different priorities. But we are serious in our discussions. We're also deliberate in delivering. I think that's the other piece of it, too. It's not just rhetoric. We don't just talk about it. We, we figure out ways how we get it signed into law, how we get it in the National Defense Authorization Act. I sit on the Appropriations Committee. Mm-hmm. How do you you put money behind these different things. So it's that's what I appreciate it, whether Republican or Democrat, it's serious conversations.
0: So to that point, we're also facing some serious deadlines and decisions that need to be made ahead of November 17th when government funding is set to run out. The new speaker is in place. He's indicating more short-term funding bills. Do you both think we can avoid a government shutdown? And do you have to work across the aisle to do that?
3: I do think it's possible. And uh, we're going to have to work across the aisle, I think. I mean, to get out of this this mess that the Congress is in and the House of Representatives is in, necessarily, we're going to have to try to carve out some bipartisanship. You know, last Congress, that's how most of the big things that we got done. Got done and on there a bipartisan a consequence basis
0: consequence for that.
3: There, there is a political for consequence. But, you know, listen, we're not asking people Speaker. to storm the beaches of Normandy. We're not asking people to you know, deploy and, and, and you know, members of Congress to deploy and give their lives like we oftentimes uh, ask our servicemen and women. We're asking people to, sh- to show some courage, to lean out there and maybe take some tough votes. And, yeah, there will be consequences to it. But that's what service is about. I've done that as a Democrat. I've I've parted from my party and the administration at times, and he's done that as a Republican because we are about a service to the country first.
0: Do you think we can avoid a shutdown?
3: I do, okay. I, but I don't think I don't think
2: the partisanship in this town is going to end all of a sudden because we have a new speaker. I think you're going to see a, this continuing partisanship happen. I was I was why, ple- why? Uh, just the division in the country in general. It's so much easier to blame the other side for everything that's wrong instead of coming together and finding a solution and taking ownership for the problem. It's it's easier to just blame the administration or blame the House Republicans, and round and round we go. Mm-hmm. But I do think uh, it it was positive to see us pass in the House. A couple of appropriations bills this week, and I'd like to see more of that. You know, the House continue to get its work done and then ultimately get the Senate to pass their appropriations bills. These are all positive things. I'd also say, too, the folks that were kind of against Kevin McCarthy and against uh, continuing resolutions, all of a sudden, you know, since it's a different person, since it's Mike Johnson, maybe CRs aren't that bad after all.
0: (laughs) Um, I was just, you know, we're talking about restoring civility, and yet. It's just within the past few weeks that we have seen credible death threats. We're not just talking about calling names. We're talking about credible death threats against members of Congress within both of your parties, but within yours, just for votes placed as to who should be that next speaker and members of this caucus, Marionette Miller-Meeks, Steve Womack, Don Bacon, Nick Lallotta, they all face death threats for votes they took. How do you get past that kind of um, fear that that must put in the in the hearts of some of the lawmakers. You
2: know, sadly, in today's environment, it, for many of us, this is service. We're coming up here and we're voting our conscience. We're voting our district and we're taking incoming, you know, thinking back to our time in the military. It's no different. Uh, after Uvalde, after Uvalde happened in my yeah. district, I was getting death threats. I mean, since then, it just seems
0: because you were pushing for legislation that would restrict or have more.
2: The interesting thing is I was getting death threats from the left. I was getting death threats from people that wanted to ban certain things and they were blaming me for what was occurring. So it's just the the whole world's turned upside down. I think we get back to stability by having conversations. We disagree or we agree on certain things, but we do it in a manner that's productive and ultimately delivering for the American people. It it can't just be rhetoric. People want solutions, whether it's the economy, whether it's the border, whether it's national security, all of this, um, the Americans demand solutions. So I think there's an opportunity in all this chaos, yeah. in all this division. I think there's an opportunity for lawmakers to stand firm in who they are and come together.
3: And, Margaret, it's not just an opportunity, but I think we believe it's our obligation. That's right. Right. We, we are in a time of high partisanship, vitriol. Families are divided. Communities are divided. Neighbors aren't speaking to each other anymore. Uh, I mean, the people watching the show understand this. When you're a leader, you don't get to choose the moment in which you lead. The question only is whether or not you're going to rise to that occasion and answer the call. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have answered the call before. That is what our caucus has done. We have a demonstrated track record of it. uh, And we are ready to lead again. And it will be hard. It's going to be very, very hard. And it's not without sacrifice. But we're ready to do it.
0: Let me ask you about something where you have been um, outspoken recently. Uh, You have both. I should say, at the get-go, been outspoken in your uh, belief that Israel a right to defend itself in the wake of those horrific terror attacks that were carried out October 7th. You, Congressman Crowe, have said just this week, Israel's military confirmed it was an Israeli attack that bombed that Palestinian refugee camp in Gaza. You said, this should not have happened. I fought wars in crowded cities. When civilians were present, it changed our plans. Arguably, this is potentially a war crime. Um, Why did you think it was important for you to say this?
3: Because I stand with Israel and its right to defend itself. And I believe very firmly that Hamas must be destroyed. It cannot be allowed to exist as a a terrorist organization and pose threats to the Palestinians and to the Israelis. I fought three times in Iraq and Afghanistan. This, This nation spent 20 years at war spent over $3 trillion to destroy al-Qaeda, to destroy ISIS, and yet those organizations still exist. So the lesson drawn from that is that you cannot destroy a a terrorist ideology with military means alone. You have to have politics, you have to have diplomacy, you have to have humanitarian aid, because you can kill a terrorist, but if you destroy or kill innocent civilians, you create more terrorists in the process. Mm -hmm. So that is why I am adamant that to support Israel, to do this the right way, we have to put front and center the protection of civilians. And I, I have done that with regard to the United States. I am the founding member of the Protection of Civilians in Conflict Caucus. Mm-hmm. And, and, and every time the United States makes a mistake or, or strays from our path, I call it out because the, the path to getting better and improving is being honest.
0: But with this particular conflict, saying things that you just said will bring some sharp criticism to you.
3: Absolutely. Uh, what, when,
0: what happened after you said this?
3: Well, uh, it, we're in an era where a lot of times you don't make anybody happy. Right. Uh, I, I put but that, this is
0: often framed as either for or against terrorists. You're, you're yeah. saying, no, you can prosecute a war on terrorism without causing mass civilian casualties.
3: Well, I spent years in my earlier career fighting terrorists, uh, literally fighting terrorists and seeing some of my friends give everything During that process, Uh, I am a a very ardent national security Democrat. Uh, I I lead on national security issues and pushing for a a strong national defense, also Mm. for our partners and allies. But I know that there is no military solution to these issues alone. And because I want success, because I want us to do better and to learn from our mistakes, uh, we have to be honest when we do make those mistakes and when our partners make those mistakes.
0: Do you agree with that, Congressman Gonzalez?
3: I think war is ugly, and I think in in war, there's a lot of
2: nasty things that happen. I think it's important. What you saw this week in the House is the House passed aid to Israel in a bipartisan manner. And many, many people on the other side of the aisle didn't agree with the the structure of it. But you saw a dozen Democrats— Uh, unconditionally support uh, Israel. I unconditionally support Israel. Whatever comes over our way, I think we have to unconditionally stand with our allies.
0: But unconditionally is different from what Congressman Crowe was saying, which was you can... Uh, prosecute a war on terrorism without causing mass civilian casualties. Do you I, agree with that?
2: I would. I would argue that Israel is not trying to, to cause uh, civilian casualties. But they've, they've, they
0: have. Was the the fact in of every that war?
2: In every war, there's casualties. You think
0: it's unavoidable?
2: I think it's unavoidable with what is happening. But I also believe Israel is doing everything it can to make this military targets and not punish a, a population. But how do you eradicate a terrorist organization that is embedded in every? Aspect Mm -hmm. of a a civilization. It's a very difficult problem set to have. But think back to the 1,400 Israelis that were slaughtered. I mean, Israel didn't start this war. I'm of the mindset you know, a ceasefire needs to occur when Hamas is eliminated.
0: Right. But you were drawing a distinction between Hamas and thousands of civilians. And that's the pushback on your argument, is that there needs to be a brighter line. There there does. There
2: there, there needs to be a distinct. uh, When does this war end? How does this conflict end? In my eyes, the conflict ends when uh, Hamas is is eliminated. And also, I think back to these threats are not just abroad. They're here in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, myself and Marco Rubio, we introduced a resolution that deports anybody on a visa that is supporting a terrorist organization. This is already law. This is already law. But the administration isn't Abiding by that. But what
0: do you mean by that? I saw that and I was honestly kind of confused because um, terrorists aren't welcome into the United States. How do you define support? What do you mean by that? Who is it that you want to deport?
2: I'm seeing a rise. I think Americans are seeing a rise in anti-Semitism and this support, this open support for active terrorist organizations. If that occurs, Mm -hmm. you're seeing it throughout these different protests. And there's a difference between First Amendment, you know, kind of speaking out uh, in in a peaceful manner and those that are kind of in in, uh, enticing terrorism. And so if you're on if you're here on a visa Let's say you're visiting our schools and all of a sudden you're over here promoting Hamas and you the. Mean
0: fundraising for a terror group, things that are already illegal. I mean,
2: act, I mean, act, exactly. I mean, actively Attending supporting mm-hmm. supporting Hamas and you're here on a visa. It, it's a no brainer that you should be deported. But the administration isn't doing that. That's why this I think this resolution is important to hold the administration accountable. You, Do you can't about just say evidence
0: that they're not deporting fundraisers for Hamas.
2: They haven't deported anyone. Just look at the how many how many people mm-hmm. have they deported on visas on visas that that openly are supporting some of these terrorist organizations. The answer is zero. They're not. They're not even looking at it. Do they're you know how many
0: cases there are of what you're talking about? They're
2: not even looking at it. They're, the administration. But how do you
0: know that then?
2: Because the administration is not even considers it a problem. It is a problem. It is a growing problem of anti-Semitism and, and, and this, this uh, belief in terrorism is okay, and it needs to it needs an end. And, and part of that is holding the administration accountable and to just do the law, the, do, do what is already on the books.
0: Uh, there has been a rise in anti-Semitism the administration has talked about, um, and we've talked about, the FBI has talked about. In fact, the FBI director said Jews make up 2.4 percent of the public but account for 60 percent of the religious-based hate crimes. That was before October 7th. This has been a problem in the United States of America. Let me ask you about rhetoric, though. Um, Do you oppose Donald Trump's repeated calls for a ban on Muslims? He just recently brought that up again.
2: I I don't pay attention to what the previous president is we kind of. But I don't pay attention. I mean, I, okay. I mean, okay. ban on, on Muslims, uh, folks coming over here from these different countries. I'm a, I'm of the mindset of this
0: because it would contradict what you were talking about. The well, African I'm of the mindset of this.
2: Act. I'm of the mindset of this. People that can come over here legally, people that are coming over here to do mm-hmm. you know to visit our our schools and do these different things, perfectly fine. I don't care where you come from, what religion you are, but if you are actively going against the United States, if you're actively encouraging, inciting a riot and terrorism, your visa should be immediately revoked and you should be deported. Sure. You can do both. It doesn't have to be a universal ban on everyone. It also right. shouldn't be a, a th- no laws are enforced. This is where the administration is getting it wrong. Sure. They're not enforcing anything.
0: Sure. But just on the theme of civility, I think preciseness in language and not using um, ethnic groups or religious groups. Would you advise? Inv- advise that, that anyone in in office not call for bans of religious groups or ethnic groups. I don't, or yeah. deportations. I know you pay a lot of attention to immigration issues. Sure.
2: I, I I don't look at the I don't look at the race, religion, creed. I look at the action. And I think if we focus on the action, the action in which these individuals are doing and we focus on that and then we hold them accountable. Once again, the administration is not deporting anyone that is actively opening that is actively inciting this terrorism. This is where the words you know, when the president gets up there and says I stand with with Israel, your words have to each equal your actions.
3: And I'll just say providing material support to a foreign terrorist organization is against the law. Yes. Uh, there there are uh, numerous investigations along those lines. There have been numerous prosecutions. And I have no reason to believe this administration does not enforce those laws and to take that very seriously. Uh, they do. Uh, I know they do. Uh, And they should continue to. Uh, I'm extremely concerned about the surge of anti-Semitism. It and is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I condemn Hamas and I condemn those who support or provide a permission structure Mm -hmm. for Hamas. And I'm very disturbed about incidents on campuses and incidents around the country where we see young people doing that. Uh, Obviously there's freedom of speech, but there's a point at which freedom of speech becomes a violation of law if you are providing material support. Uh, And and if those instances do happen, Mm -hmm. uh, there are laws on the books to address it.
0: Let's talk about something that uh, is also being considered, or the White House hopes it's going to be considered, and that is something to deal with border security and immigration as part of a broader national security package. This is uh, an area I know you both feel strongly about. Um, Congressman, outside of Denver, there's been a record number of border crossings and influx to to your uh, area in Colorado. How much of that fault lies with members of Congress, and how much of it lies with the administration?
3: Well, it predominantly is an issue of Congress, right? The United States Congress determines our immigration laws. Our immigration laws are broken. They've been broken for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Congress needs to legislate to fix this issue. Uh, there, of course, is enforcement, and I've been, uh, um, you know, talking to the administration about how we can do better at the border. The, the current border situation is not sustainable. It has to be addressed, and we need a secure border. There's no doubt about that. We have firm agreement on that issue, uh, and, and, and you know, Tony knows it well, as he has the largest stretch of border of any member of Congress, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, we we have to address that issue. I I believe it should be done in a humane way, in a, a way that centers human dignity as well as. Uh, is is a good, uh, makes us good stewards of the taxpayer dollar. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why I did not support a wall, because I thought it was a waste of money. But I do support efforts of uh, increased enforcement, surveillance, technology, other things that I know well from my time in Afghanistan that do work uh, and work in a more humane way.
0: So what needs to be in this $14 billion request to Congress to help with border security that the White House has made as part of this broader package? How do you get that through and get Republican support in the House?
3: One thing that I would add here is uh, the, the issue of uh, supporting our USCIS. So, the backlog in our immigration court system mm-hmm. uh, is enormous, right? The pathway towards processing asylum and refugee cases right now is, is extremely backed up. Uh, we don't have enough judges, we don't have enough folks in that system. Uh, so, we can relieve substantial pressure. Uh, to, um, to help that system and, and, and get some of the folks who are sitting in detention centers, uh, sitting on the border, uh, get them processed through the system in a way that's compliant with our laws. Mm-hmm. And then the next piece is, I have an immigration detention system uh, center in my district. Uh, it is a privately run immigration detention se- system or center. Uh, and I've been pushing very hard to end private for-profit immigration detention centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it creates perverse incentives uh, that uh, put a uh, profit motivation ahead of human dignity. Yeah. And this is a government function and should be done by the government, not by companies.
0: How do you get I know you just supported the standalone Israel bill, sure. but the Senate and the White sure. House are saying everything's going to be bundled together with sure. the border in it. How do you get Republicans on board?
2: I think you're you're going to have Republicans like myself that stand with Israel unconditionally. No matter what comes over, we're not going to shy away from supporting Israel, especially in the middle of this conflict. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the border, it can't just be throwing money at a problem and expecting it to be solved. There has to be policy changes. And it's why I've been speaking with the administration. It's why I've been speaking with senators on both sides of the aisle and talking about sensible solutions. A couple of sensible solutions. We introduced a, a piece of legislation. It's called the SAFER Act. And what it does is when when somebody comes over, they get their case heard in days, not years. And if they do not qualify for asylum, they get sent back to their country of origin. This includes the State Department being involved in this. These are some things that can happen today. They've already started to do some of that. You saw some deportation flights to Venezuela, but you're talking hundreds where it should be thousands.
0: Has the new speaker promised you that some of your proposals will be part of uh, the border package?
2: There is no doubt that I have been very vocal in Congress, and I remind my colleagues that no one will ever outborder me, whether they want to or not. I have the longest stretch of border. I'm talking about the border every single day, and I will always have a seat at the table in the conversation. I'm looking for meaningful, sensible solutions that can ultimately protect our country from these terrorist threats that we have, Mm -hmm. and also have a lane for those that want to come over legally through the legal route.
0: Okay, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Tall order of uh, to-do list.
1: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.
0: Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews, and in depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode.